power on. Now entering the gaming grid. The latest gaming news, reviews, and retro culture, as only the man of tomorrow can deliver. And here is your host, Brian Sovereign. The man of tomorrow is here to break the rules. <laughs> now, what do I mean by breaking the rules? Uh, well, we are going to get into, um, and this was somewhat by request uh, from actually uh, my boy, Jim Jesus. He, uh, he recently got his hands on one of these, that being a Nintendo Wii. Now, the Nintendo Wii, or as I still like to call it to this day, the Nintendo Revolution. Um, the reason I'm breaking the rules here is because this is part of the seventh generation of consoles. Uh, it's competitors were of course the PlayStation three and the Xbox 360. And basically I had said before that usually I won't talk about anything past the sixth generation of consoles because that was console gaming at its best. Well, the Wii is a odd duck, to be sure. Um, let me actually pull up my my little notes here. Boy, talk about odd ducks. Look at this. Microsoft Word now finally has a true black mode, meaning where everything, even the background of the uh, the quote unquote paper, you know, <laughs> of, of the writing field is now completely black. If you're in or dark, if you want to go dark mode, but they call it black mode. Uh, if you are in the beta channel for Microsoft Office. And it is about damn time that that was a possibility and available, even though I know there are little, little, little hacks you could do to make it happen, but regardless. So the reason that I am willing to talk about, uh, you know, to, to bend, I guess the, the rules here, um, even though I guess really the 3ds is kind of a, or no, that's more like an eighth generation. Well, anyway, whatever that that's handheld, totally different animal. Um, the reason I'm, I'm willing to bend the rules here. Because the Wii, and in fact, really, I still to this day say its proper name is Revolution. Now, the reason that, you know, when they first announced it uh, at E3, I believe it was in 2005, uh, when it was first announced, they were still calling it the Revolution. Um, argument goes, and it would end up being somewhat of a prescient one, much of what Iwata-san did for, for, with the Nintendo Wii would end up being very prescient. Uh, of course, we're talking about the late and great, if not greatest, Satoru Iwata, uh, president of Nintendo uh, at the time, who is sorely, sorely missed, even though Nintendo does seem to be carrying on uh, very much or very well with his legacy. Um but they did call it the revolution. And now the reason that they might've not called it that I'll just say quickly may have to do with, you know, varying regions, cultures where the V sound is not a common part of the language. And so it would have created, you know, it could have created, I don't know, whatever problems. And I respect that. And I say that it's prescient because in the lifetime of the Nintendo Wii, 
it would go on to sell over a hundred million units. It is depending upon what graph you're looking at. It is the best selling console in history. Um, just out of any of them. Now the switch might overtake it and it's on, you know, it's on course. It's, it's in the trajectory to do so as far as best selling, but that's how big the Nintendo Wii was. I mean, and you know, it had a great run from basically 2006 when it ended up getting released in most territories, uh, to where most, or at least some of the online features for the Wii were still being supported into 2019. Um, it was still being touted and sold and because you get later models of the Wii, not that any of those are worthwhile because they lose functionality like GameCube uh, game playing and so on. Um, but it would still get effectively produced and touted until 2017. Now that's just, you know, three, four years ago. That's amazing. What, and I mean, an incredible lifespan uh, to do over a decade, much like uh, a couple anyway, or much like the PlayStation two, I guess I should say, you know, it, it was, I mean, for Nintendo, I get how big of a deal this was. You know, it was to Nintendo, it was to Sony's PlayStation 2, to Microsoft's Xbox 360. Um, I don't think it's unfair to say that as far as sales and longevity, that those three consoles are the top of the heap for the respective companies. But for why I still call it the revolution and why I think it's such a fitting name, it's because this was a revolution in gaming. Um, people like to like to toss that word around quite a bit, I think. I think uh, Iwata knew exactly what he was doing in calling it that because it, it, it's just so fitting. I mean, and this was a system you, you have to understand because when you get into the, uh, the Wii Shop, right? Uh, when, when you get into channels, cause you know, it would have a lot of, uh, you know, by, by design from launch, it would have online capability, which is, was a new thing more or less from, for any Nintendo system, uh, mainstream Nintendo system. I mean, you know, we could get into, you know, maybe, uh, having satellite access on, you know, on a Famicom or something, but that, that's, that's a whole other, that that's something completely different, totally different argument. And most people haven't even touched that stuff, but a lot of people touched the Wii cause this thing sold gangbusters. Um, I'll get into my history uh, with it, but you know, let, let's keep going. This was a system that had multiple types of games, meaning you got, you had the, you know, normal DVD based games, right. That, you know, which many of which are classics. Now the super Mario galaxy games. Um, I mean, you know, we could go down the list of them, but then you also had what was called WiiWare, And then you had the introduction of, and kudos to Nintendo for taking a cue from what PlayStation had been doing with backwards compatibility, Nintendo, you know, created a uh, virtual console uh, for the very first time. Now this would be a feature that would show up in the Wii's successor, the Wii U uh, as well as on the 3DS. Um, and obviously incredibly popular feature. Uh, the virtual console would be above and beyond, you know, just offering classic games of yore to, uh, you know, say, hungry Americans to, you know, to play some, uh, some classic Nintendo games, um, they would go far beyond in that they would actually port. And when we get into our, we're going to do a top eight here of games for the Wii. When we get into, um, that list, we'll talk about some of the ports that came over because they would port games that were originally only released in Japan. And they would, they would, uh, you know, do the local translation into English and release them in North America. 
I mean, just wonderful. Like for some of that alone at the time, because yes, I mean, you know, you have uh, fan patches for ROMs that do English translations and some of those are amazing work. I mean, these are people doing work, the work you might as well call them, you know, parts of the dev team because that's the level of work they're doing. And I, and, and Satan bless them. I think they're wonderful. Uh, but some of these games, you know, this was the only time that you could, or this is the first time I should say that you could really play a lot of these games and they would remap the controls to where they would work with, say it was like an N64 game to where they would work with a more modern controller and not so much the, what some people felt wonky or some people loved, uh, you know, Nintendo 64 controller. Uh, it was an amazing thing. I mean, this, there was so much on offer with the system because also in the virtual console, you had Commodore 64 games, you had Sega games. It wasn't just Nintendo story being told here. It was the story of video game history. The Wii was all of that, but then it was bringing you the, you know, just latest and greatest games. Then it had, you know, really, really hot. Uh, I, you can't, I kind of want to call them indie titles. Some of them were, some of them were continuations that, you know, were clearly low budget, but were brilliant. Say like the Mega Man, Mega Man nine and 10, um, that would end up coming out, you know, via WiiWare. I'm actually going to do a separate top eight for WiiWare because there's that many great games to talk about that were only available digitally on the Wii. And it deserves a separate conversation. Also the homebrew community, which is still strong as fuck to this day, if not stronger to say nothing of the emulator dolphin, uh, is another conversation to be had. And I will save that for the episode when we talk about WiiWare. Um, so, you know, this is going to kind of, kind of be a two party here, but we're going to stick to the, to the Wii for now. Now, as far as how did it stack up the Wii, as far as power, uh, against its competitors, the PlayStation three and the Xbox 360. It did not stand up. Well, <laughs> not at all. Uh, this is one could almost argue an incredibly underpowered, uh, system wasn't even really HD. It could do 480p, but I mean, it, you know, wouldn't go above and beyond much like the 360 or the PS three was doing. Um, it did have an ATI Hollywood chip that was handling the graphics duties, uh, an IBM processor power PC actually in it. Uh, which is, <laughs> you know, a lot of people wonder, it's like, wait, why did Nintendo, because the Wii had a web browser built into it and, you know, you could watch YouTube videos and you could basically browse the web with the Wii mode, which we will talk about that. Um, you know, why did they go with opera? I think one of the reasons is, is that opera, the code base, especially at the time when it was still, um, fuck, what was it? Pepper? No, not pepper. That's the, that was the flash. Um, that was the presto engine. Um, that was, really, really, I mean, that code base was existing for basically every platform, including power PC. So I think it only made sense uh, that they did that. Otherwise maybe they would have been running Safari, which would have been ironic, but anyway, but even the CPU and the graphics processor, neither of them were even clocking at a gigahertz. You understand that's how low powered this thing was, but what it lacked in power, it made up for in extreme novelty, a novelty that comes down to its control scheme. And that is centered around the Wiimote. The Wiimote was basically a remote control that operated like a mouse, like a computer mouse. 
And that in and of itself was, uh, was a brilliant move and would allow for a lot of really interesting games and game genres that normally did not do well on a console or that say I didn't like on a console, um, that it could pull off as in first person shooters suddenly made a whole ton of sense. In fact, I think one of the best first person shooters of all time ended up on the Wii. That's probably going to be in our top eight and eventually it'd go to other systems, but the advantage it had with the Wii and what made it so enjoyable on the Wii was lost when it ended up going to Sony and Microsoft consoles. But we'll save that for when we get into the top eight. So the Wiimote, um, now you have to understand, and this is kind of a, a weird thing, is that the Wii would have a, a, a sensor bar that you would have to put onto your television. Now, this would actually end up being a, really a a huge boon because as you were at the time in 2006 and so on, as people were getting away from CRT televisions, not that I think that maybe that wasn't necessarily a good thing, but as people were getting away from those, uh, you know, say light gun games, right. You know, light gun rail shooters, these kinds of games would no longer be possible to be, or were no longer possible to be played on say your flat screen, you know, led or projection televisions, but with the hardware of the, of the Wii sensor bar connected to the console, it didn't matter what the screen was because the sensor bar was doing, you know, the bulk there was, was doing the action now. And so you could hook it up to fucking anything. It didn't matter a brilliant move. And that's another area where genres that would work really fucking well, um, on, on a console is, within like the, the light gun shooter games, um, which, you know, yeah, they did, they did pretty good on the dreamcast. They did pretty good on Sega CD. I mean, there's consoles where they've done well, but the Wii, I mean, everybody was porting every light gun game they could to the Wii because they're like, wow, here's a system that can actually pull this kind of arcade action off. We might talk about those a little bit later on in this episode, but that sensor bar of course would do much more than light gun games, right? The big deal is that it would allow for motion controls, uh, motion controls in the form of the game that came bundled with the Wii when you first got it, which was Wii sports, um, for, you know, to, to a lot of commentators, uh, and analysts to this day, they consider Wii sports to be the reason that the Nintendo Wii took off the way that it did, because it was just, it was the game that everybody wanted to play. And you got to understand grandma wanted to play the Wii. That was unheard of, unheard of in 2006, you know, that, that, that you had your, your, your older folk. And I say that with respect, you had your older folk wanted to jump in on on the, you know, on, on the video game action. Um, that was, I mean, it's not like, yes, of course there were people who were older who played video games that are still are to this day, but I'm just saying that at the time, you know, for, for like the excitement almost, you know, it was for the first time you'd go over to grandma's house, you know, and yeah, sure. Maybe grandma would have a super Nintendo laying around for you to be able to play when the grandkids come over. No, no, this was now you're going over to grandma's house. You walked in and you were saying, Hey grandma, can I join you in playing Wii sports please? Because she was rocking it as you came in the door. Uh, I mean, that that's crazy. That's part of the reason this is, this was the best selling system of all time, uh, it was because, you know, you got those demographics, you got so many, so many different demographics that really never touched video games until they saw just the, again, that novelty, that uniqueness that the Wii was delivering. So the Wiimote, um, 
also was brilliant in that it had an expansion port on it. And so you could connect other controllers, uh, you know, as wireless controls, but you could connect, uh, you know, you could connect the, the pro controller, which is really slick. Um, or they had a more, you know, like standard Wii controller, uh, speaking of controller also, I mean, part of the size, because the Wii U, interestingly, I think a lot of people are expecting it to be smaller than the GameCube because it just seemed like Nintendo was wanting to make smaller and smaller. Uh, the Wii U was kind of bigger than the GameCube. And a big part of that was along the top of it, there was a whole flap you could lift off on it. And there were four ports to hook up your GameCube controllers. Basically, Nintendo learned the lesson, you know, from from Sony that, well, backwards compatibility, people like that. People want that. And so they made sure you could play GameCube games and you could just, you know, it had a full size DVD slot on it, but you could put in the, you know, the, the mini disc uh, or not, not mini disc, like Sony mini disc, but the mini disc uh, games into the Wii and you could hook up your GameCube controllers. You can plug in your GameCube memory card and everything. And I mean, there's an argument to be made that the Wii is the best GameCube ever made. You know, I mean, you, you could almost make that statement. Um, I still, I think the GameCube is on an aesthetic, far more charming and cool looking, dare I say, uh, than the Wii. So, you know, when I was looking to get a GameCube for Ellen and I to, you know, rock the, the, the great games of yore, um, I didn't, I, I didn't go with a Wii, you know, I, I just bought the GameCube straight, um, uh, because it's like, no, you, you, you want that actual hardware, but that that's a matter of personal opinion. But admittedly, the real, you know, the real deal, the real draw here was the Wiimote itself, which of course also connected to a nunchuck, which would have an analog stick on it, um, which is one of the ways that actually playing first person shooters worked really, really well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. So that said, you would also end up with, let's see, there was the Wii Motion Plus, which was an adapter that allowed for, um, more ranges uh, or a greater range of motion that the Wiimote could, you know, recognize, produce. Uh, and that allowed for some pretty incredible games itself in itself, including uh, sequels basically to Wii Sports, where we'd end up with Wii Sports Resort, um, which would directly lead to one of my favorite 3DS games, that being Pilot Wings uh, Resort. In fact, if, if you looked on my Twitter account when I had one before I got banned, um, if you looked on my Twitter account, my location for years, because, you know, you can put like, where are you located? It was always Woohoo Island. Woohoo Island is, is directly from, uh, you know, from Wii Sports and we or Wii Sport Resort and uh, as well as Pilot Wings uh, Resorts. I, I, I love those games. Those games are, by the way, the, the Wii Sports games is as great as they are. I mean, and they are just a cut above and the, the real they are the demo. Uh, the, the, to use a term, the mother of all demos for the Wii. Um, I didn't include them just because like they, they're obvious, just like on the top eight, when we get to it, super Mario galaxy two, isn't going to be there, even though it's one of the greatest games ever made Mario or otherwise, uh, it could easily sit in that list, but I want to do something a little bit different. Now, before I get into that top eight, I want to talk a little bit about my personal experience with the Wii. So the Wii was, I ended up getting a Wii, I guess it was around 2009. So it was a little bit later. Again, the Wii U would come out in 2012. Um, so it had a good six year, you know, mainstream run and it was a hell of a run, obviously. And again, like we said earlier, it really kept on going until 2019. Um, 
I got mine around, yeah, around 2009 or so. And you've got, you got to understand this. Like, so I had gotten out of the military, uh, in Oh four and that, like that time frame, uh, I didn't really play video games much, you know, like I was, I was kind of, uh, I don't want to say I was rehabilitating. We don't need to go down that road. But my point is, is that getting the Nintendo Wii was very much me getting back into gaming. Okay. And I went all out with this thing. I, I bought a, or I didn't buy, actually, I, I worked at a company and they would have like these kind of throwaway test monitors and everything. And I took one of their flat screen, 17 inch monitors. I got a couple of, uh, uh, you know, like the metal straps that you use to strap wood, uh, but they're thicker. I like screwed those into the back of this monitor and I bent them like a U so that you could put the Wii inside of it. So it could slide inside of it and, you know, kind of strapped it in there with double stick tape. Um, I did a whole bunch of tricks with this monitor basically to, and at the top, I put the Wii sensor bar and everything. And the idea was, is I wanted it to be an all-in-one. I wanted my Wii to be just an all-in-one device where I could just pick up the whole thing. It was connected to the monitor and all of it. I loved this system so fucking much. The only reason I don't still have my Wii is because when I moved to New Hampshire, basically, you know, I left a lot of stuff behind because when I moved to New Hampshire, originally I was living out of my, you know, I was living out of my SUV. And so it didn't, (laughs) it didn't exactly make sense to, you know, to have a console that needed to be plugged in all the time, even if it was an all-in-one. But the Wii was really me getting back into gaming. And it was a great way to do it because you had the virtual console. So you had all of those classic games and a lot of games that maybe even I missed. Um, It allowed me to pick right back up with, you know, games that I loved on the GameCube um, because, you know, it could play those right out of the gate. I mean, it's still, you know, one of the best ways to play, you know, any of the Rogue Squadron games. Um, Yeah, I, I really went all out. Uh, with the Wii. I mean, <laughs> I put a lot of time and a lot of thought even into, you know, how I had it implemented and everything. Uh, it, it was great. The only thing is, so like the first game that I got actually speaking of light gun games was um, Link's crossbow training, which came with the Wii zapper, which really again, brilliance here. All it was, was just, just a shell that you put the Wiimote into uh, as well as it's nunchuck. And that, you know, kind of looked like, sort of looked like a rifle or a crossbow in this case. And, you know, playing those light gun games on a 17 inch widescreen monitor, you can kind of imagine that, Ooh, that, that might not have been the best, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that might not have been the most fun, but, uh, I did it. It worked. And I mean, you know, I, my first game without a doubt was going to be a Zelda game. Um, and skyward sword, I don't think had come out yet. And I had yet to rock Twilight Princess, but I kind of thought of that as a GameCube game, even though, again, the Wii can play GameCube games. Um, but, you know, I've played Twilight Princess now and I know how great it is. But anyway, I wanted my first game to be a Zelda game because, you know, that fucking matters. Uh, <laughs> so just like, I mean, it's the same thing. The, the whole reason um, that I got the Switch was to play the remake of Link's Awakening. So, you know, that was like my impetus for getting that. I mean, that's, you know, that's how big of a deal Zelda is. But bottom line, I was really transfixed by just how much the Wii could do, how much you could do on the Wii. And I think that that was Iwata-san's brilliance in that, okay, we're not going to compete on graphics and pound for pound, 
against Microsoft and Sony because, and, and, and you know why this is why, let me, this is a, you know, gamer, a lot of gamers don't understand. They don't, they don't get the economics. They, they don't get the market around all this stuff. Nintendo knew that Sony was willing to go for broke, literally go for broke. Um, I mean, watch documentaries about the PlayStation and especially around the PlayStation three. These are systems that get sold at a dramatic loss, dramatic loss. Nintendo was not going to gamble that way. And Nintendo in comparison to Microsoft does not have Microsoft's piggy bank, at least not at the time they didn't because you know, the GameCube, even the N64 and the GameCube, you know, it's, it wasn't the NES, you know, it wasn't the NES and SNES days, right? Uh, as great as they were, it wasn't the Ness and Ness days. So they couldn't take those gambles. They they weren't going to compete with those gambles. They wanted to do something different. They There's no, I mean, for the, the PlayStation 3, for every Sony console, basically after the PS2, to exist at the level of graphical prowess that they do, and it is impressive, they are constantly selling those consoles at a loss. You know, and yeah, they, they make it up in the games. I understand but you've got to be able, I mean, that's a gamble every time. And Sony will tell you as much, you know, that they don't know that it's going to work, but if it does work, it pays off handsomely as it has, even though I would argue really the, the Xbox 360, I think dominated over the PS3. The PS3 was not as anywhere near as exciting. The system as a PS4 and frankly, between the, you know, the new Xbox and, and the PS5, I kind of feel like those systems are very much the same now as to where there was, you know, the PlayStation four definitely had a, a, especially with indie games, but they had a real library advantage over the X bone. Um, so anyway, point being is that Nintendo needing to get creative with what their console could do was the right move. It was the only move that they could do because they could not gamble the way that Microsoft and Sony were gambling, not at that stage in the game coming off of the N64 and the GameCube. They couldn't do it. So people often want to talk shit about the Wii saying, oh, it's not even, it's barely HD or it's not even HD or it's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And then just look at, you know, any, any numbers and you go, whoa, a hundred million units sold. They must've done something right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, it is a system that did a lot of things right. There's more conversation to have around the history of the Wii, but I think I'm going to save that for the episode uh, with the Wii Wear, uh, which there's a lot to cover in that. Obviously, I'm not going to do a top eight around virtual consoles, but a top eight of Wii Wear games. Yeah, I mean, I could do a top 50 on that. Like, I, I think there were actually a lot of great Wii Wear games, even though the one challenge, we'll talk about it when we when we get into the next episode about Wii Wear. Uh, one of the big challenges for, you know, for the Wii was that you had to store all this in onboard storage and it only had like 512 megabytes. I mean, it was, you had nothing to, to store these online or, you know, to store these, um, you know, digital games and yeah, anyway, well, we're not going to talk about the digital games. We're going to talk about the traditional games that came on DVDs, full-size discs this time around, unlike the GameCube, and there are doozies here. So let's get into our top eight. And as I say every time, um, there's no real order here except for maybe number one. Uh, if you're in the top eight, you're already the best. 
right? Regardless of where you sit in the top eight, but let's start breaking it down. Going to open this up with, and look, I mean, there's, again, there's a lot of, you know, games that came out for the Wii that are recognized, you know, just tremendous games. They may not be on this list. It's not because they don't belong in the top eight. It's just because everybody already talks about them. So what does it matter? You know, you know I, I want to give you something unique, something different to look for. Um, so let's start off with number eight. And this was uh, a, a light gun rail shooter. Like I had mentioned that the Wii did so well. And this was House of the Dead Overkill. Um, again, like I mentioned, because of the sensor bar, it didn't matter what kind of TV you were using. You could play these games and you didn't even need the Wii zapper. You know, you could just hold the Wiimote out and hold it like a phaser off of TNG and you're great, you know, which is awesome. Um, but House of the Dead Overkill, admittedly, I mean, you know, aside from Soul Calibur, you know, the one of the things that got me hooked on the Dreamcast was I wanted to play House of the Dead, uh, you know, House of the Dead 2. And actually, that would also, there would be a, a compilation that would come out on the Wii, House of the Dead 2 and 3. Uh, would come out for the Wii. There were a bunch of other ones. Um, what did they have? There was, oh, e- even some, even some like older arcade games like uh, Gunblade in New York and uh, LA Machine Guns came out uh, for that. There were, uh, oh, there were the two Conduit games, Ghost Squad. There were a few and they were solid uh, light gun uh, rail shooter games on the Wii. And it was impressive, but I think the best one was really House of the Dead Overkill got in a, uh, actually a pretty cool story this time around from Sega. Uh, of course, Sega now concentrating more on making great games instead of worrying about a console so much. And you certainly saw that on the Wii, uh, you know, something that doesn't make this list, but could have is uh, a Sonic game. Actually, there's a couple Sonic games that came out for the Wii and basically only for the Wii minus maybe like different versions for the DS, but they were very different, but Sonic colors, now, look, there were some Sonic games that Sega put out on the Wii that were, I mean, they were hot trash, but Sonic Colors might be, I, well, I mean, minus like Sonic Mania might be like the last great Sonic game. I mean, that that was really, really cool. Then there was uh, the Sonic Riders Zero Gravity. That was awesome. That was on the Wii. That was really slick. Um, anyway, so yeah, House of the Dead Overkill totally belongs on this list. Uh, and, but really you could almost put any railgun shooter, uh, from the Wii's library in number eight, but I think they deserve to be there because the, Wii did it better than any other system previously outside of the arcades. Uh, so it's, it's worth mentioning, you know, we could almost do a top eight on those alone, but anyway, let's move on to number seven. Uh, you know, something that I think the Wii does not get enough credit for. Now, admittedly, a lot of game developers and publishers didn't get it right until later on in the Wii's life. And that was basically they realized, holy shit, a lot of people are buying this thing. We should be putting out our hot games for this. Uh, but first person shooters worked really, really well when done right on the Wii. And I would argue work best outside of the mouse and keyboard on a PC. Because again, you could point, you know, you could use the Wiimote like a mouse and you could point at, you know, at something to, to aim directly instead of trying to fiddle around with, you know, two analog sticks. Right. But some games on the Wii did it one better. Uh, and in fact, did it in a way that I haven't really seen done on just about any other system. For example, 
Red Steel 2, which is our number seven. Red Steel 2 is a game that allowed you, is is a first-person shooter, but basically lets you use katanas, lets you use swords. Here's the beauty, is that at that time, with when Red so there was a Red Steel 1, which came out for the Wii, which didn't exactly live up to the hype because we were all hoping that we could just hack and slash like crazy with the Wiimote, you know, and it would do this. It was very limited in the first Red Steel, which they're kind of like a samurai game. It, it, check it out. It's awesome. Uh, but when the Wii Motion Plus adapter came out for the Wiimote, then you got more range. And so when Red Steel 2 came out, aha, now we're swinging the sword. And what a great experience. I mean, look, you know, swords can work in more traditional controller schemes. Uh, for example, the Shadow War, the later or the remake Shadow Warrior games, right? Uh, it works very well in that. Worked great in, say, Jedi Knight, right, with Kyle Katarn. But Red Steel 2 made the dream come true. Uh, and it is an awesome and fairly unique experience because, you know, who's even tried to do anything like the Wiimote since? Exactly. Uh, so that absolute winner there. Um, now let's go to number six, number six, playing off of that first person shooter theme. Again, I, you know, it's, it's so funny because most people think, you know, they think about the latest call of duty game that came out, say, you know, on the, on the Xbox 360 at the time or the PS3 or whatever. And that that's, you know, anybody that played first person shooters are playing that. I think that's so dead wrong. The best first person shooter experiences bar none, even better than what was on PC was on the Nintendo Wii. And for a while, exclusive. Red Steel 2 was exclusive. This next game was originally exclusive, but then would get ported to other systems. And I hinted at this one earlier on. And to say that this is potentially one of the best first-person shooters, I mean, or the best ever, I wouldn't argue much against somebody who wanted to make that claim. It certainly belongs in the top eight of first-person shooters. That'd be an interesting thing to do. But this is the remake of another game that would basically be on every most people's uh you know top list and and really put first person shooters on the map outside of say doom or you know rise of the triad wolfenstein 3d and so on and duke nukem 3d of course lest we forget the duke we we will never forget the duke not on sovereign tech baby um but goldeneye so there was a remake made where they basically injected daniel craig into the game you know and 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 pulled out pierce brosnan and it worked. So GoldenEye 007 for the Wii. This is a full, this is basically a full remake, but you know, it had, it took advantage of online multiplayer, all these other things. Um, when you bought it, if you bought it originally, it came with a golden pro controller, which I still have. In fact, I'm, I'm looking over at the, at the, the, uh, uh, container that it's in right now. Um, I still have my gold, uh, pro Wii pro controller, that came with GoldenEye. Um, I keep it like in a case and everything. I, I mean, this game was fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. They even got, I mean, as great as Tina Turner is and as great as she did with the theme song for GoldenEye, they got a, uh, what's her name? Uh, from, from uh, Pussycat Dolls there. Uh, Nicole Scherzeiger or whatever, something like that. She, she reperformed the song GoldenEye worked beautifully. Daniel Craig was involved. It was, it was great. I mean, this is a perfect presentation. And now, so to have that great GoldenEye gameplay that you remember from the 90s, and it was, to have that and then have it with the great control scheme, the far superior control scheme of the Wiimote and Nunchuck, where you could really aim now? Oh, fuck yeah. 
was awesome. And, I mean, and, and it played like a movie. I mean, this really worked. Not enough people seem to remember this game. Now, there would be a sequel to Goldeneye, of course, which was not really related to either game, you know, the remake or the original, that being Rogue Agent, which I actually like. I think is a great game. Um, but this is this one takes the cake. I, I mean, yeah, this this would be maybe even in my top three first person shooters of all time. It's that great. Uh, so the remake of Goldeneye, just Goldeneye 007 with Daniel Craig coming in. Phenomenal. It's ironic that it came with like the gold pro controller and is more or less the only way you could get that. It's ironic that it came with that because I wouldn't use a pro controller to, for that game for a second. Like I'm absolutely going to use the Wiimote in a heartbeat, but anyway, uh, that's your, that's our, actually our number six. So let's go to number five and well, we're sticking with the first person shooters. Let's go to number five, uh, Metroid prime trilogy. Now, I was tempted to actually put other M Metroid, other M in this spot. Uh, Metroid prime trilogy is a collection came in a beautiful steel case. Uh, if you got it at the time, very limited edition, there is, it's, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that the, that Metroid prime trilogy will come out for the Nintendo switch, because of course we know we have Metroid prime four coming out for the switch eventually at some point, at least we know it's in development. Um, but Metroid prime trilogy on the Wii, I mean, you took two of the greatest games ever made from the GameCube, you know, the first two Metroid prime games, and then you tossed in three and man, you know, these are the best way to call it. And I know half-life kind of gets this, uh, this moniker as well, but you know, a thinking man's first person shooter, uh, these really are because these first person shooters are as much about exploration as they are about blowing anything up. And if not more so about exploration, and that's what makes them so great. Uh, they are, you know, I don't know of any other first person shooter that really matches the level of depth of the Metroid prime games, uh, particularly that like, cause you know, you have your helmet on, right? Because you're Samus Aran and you're in your, you know, your bounty hunter suit and you have your helmet on and, and on your HUD, you can like scan everything and everything has this insane story. The only game I can think of that comes to this level of detail in explanation of its universe would be like maybe the first colony wars where you could read about like every fucking planet around you, every planet around you. I mean, it's so funny. Colony wars did no man's sky long before no man's sky even did no man's sky and no man's sky didn't even do no man's sky when it first did no man's sky. Did you follow that? All right. I did. Anyway, let's go. So Metroid, (laughs) Metroid prime trilogy, phenomenal first person shooters. Other M I loved it. I mean, you had team Ninja making it, so you can't go wrong there. I know a lot of people complained about the, the treatment of the character of Samus Aran in the game. And I think that's really where people got tripped up, but the gameplay overall, I thought was solid as a rock. Uh, I, I mean, fuck it's, it's better than what was that Federation farce or sorry, Federation force. Leaps and bounds beyond that. I mean, I, I really, I loved other M. I thought that was a cool, cool game. Um, but anyway, Metroid prime trilogy has to be on the list. That's at number five. Uh, number four, number four is a game that amazingly has not been ported, nor has there been a sequel to this day. And I don't know why, uh, maybe because just in America, there aren't enough fans of the other side of this. And number four is actually a fighting game. Now you could even get a really, really nice you know, full-size arcade stick, uh, specifically for this game. And it's, uh, a Tatsunoko versus Capcom ultimate all-stars. Now 
Tatsunoko, not a lot of people may know about that, but that's basically, you know, like an, an anime uh, tour de force. <laughs> but if you're familiar with, you know, Battle for the Planets or Gachaman, depending on G-Force, whatever you want to call it, uh, wherever you saw it in your part of the world, that's that crowd versus Capcom. Uh, you get some of, you basically you get like the best Capcom lineup, I think, in just about any versus Capcom, because there's a few, uh, game. And you get that versus Capcom style, uh, you know, the, the tag team style and all the insane combos and everything. And it's there. I have no idea why this game has not been re-released. There must be some kind of licensing issue. Uh, I'm a, I'm a huge Gatchaman fan and I would love to play this on the switch. It would work so well. And, and I think it'd be the best system for it to be on today too. But regardless, we did get it on the Wii and it delivers. It's, you know, a lot of people want to talk about here. All right. So here's the thing. Of course, we would get a Smash Brothers game on the Wii, that being Brawl. Uh, I don't think Brawl was as good as Melee. Um, and I, I'm not gonna, even going to mess with like modern. I, I mean, I have I have Smash Brothers on, you know, on my 3DS, but I'm not even bothering with Smash Brothers on, you know, on my Switch. Melee, I think, was like just the sweet spot of, of of Smash Brothers. Brawl just didn't deliver for me. So I think, really, I consider uh, Tetsunoko versus Capcom to be the best fighting game on the system overall. Uh, and I mean, there, there are a few on there. You get some Mortal Kombat games, but admittedly, they were a little lackluster in comparison to like, say, their, their 360 uh, versions. So... Yeah, this is where I would stay. But I mean, you could play this one forever. So <laughs> it's not going to, you know, it's that good of a fighting game. You don't mind that there aren't others um, on the system or that there aren't many others, I should say, on the system. But let's go to number three. Number three, this is one that came out a little later in the life of the Wii. And for a, American audiences, I think a lot of people had no fucking clue what this thing was. This is not a light gun rail shooter, but it is an on rails shooting game. So you're not going to use anything like a light gun, but it is on rails, you know, think, uh, on rails games, you know, actually the original star Fox games were, were on rails. Um, or, you know, think like space Harrier, things like this, where basically, you know, you have kind of a set track that you're on and you're just having the target targeting reticule go wherever, you know, it can go and take on the enemies that are on the screen. This is sin and punishment star successor. This is a sequel to a N64 game that never got released in America until the Wii. The Wii, they would, when when uh, Star Successor was coming out, Nintendo did a localized version, you know, put in the English and everything, updated the controls for Virtual Console on the Wii, which was awesome. Uh, and it might be, like, the most important game, I think, to play on the Wii's Virtual Console. But Star Successor would just, you know, take everything up to 13, you know, from the original, which the original was a great on rails. I mean, it really was a great on rail shooter, uh, but sin and punishment. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Everything that's going on the story. I mean, it's not like a terribly lengthy game, but the story is pretty cool. And it just, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of class, very cool, very tight controls. Uh, the Wii works re- again. The Wiimote works really well for this. Uh, I love this game when it came out. It's an odd one, I know, but 
And it's a miracle we got in America. I, I mean, the only reason I can imagine it came to America is because basically Nintendo probably thought, well, shit, we can, with the Wii, we can sell anything like people will buy, you know, because it was that hot of a system. And I'm glad it was because uh, this sequel, I, anybody that's played it, you know, they get it. Like, wow, that was amazing. You know, and they instantly want to go and play the N64 version. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. But that's at my number three. Number two, actually, this top three sits pretty well. Uh, like as in, the, you know, the top three games for, for the system, in my opinion, that aren't the big names. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cause you know, we could talk about paper Mario again. We could talk about the super Mario galaxies. Uh, we could talk about the Zelda games, you know, twilight princess and skyward sword. I mean, there's, there's so many games we could talk about donkey Kong country returns phenomenal. Right. Uh, even though I would argue that game was actually significantly better on the 3ds when it got re-released. Number two also got a re-release on the 3ds very late in the 3ds's life as in just a couple of years ago. Uh, and there were expansions enough to play through it again, I think, but really there wasn't a whole ton above the core gameplay on the 3ds re-release. So I don't mind talking about this here because it's just as great here as it is on the 3ds. And that is Kirby's Epic Yarn. Another game late in the Wii's, uh, you know, in the Wii's history. But I think it's cute. Yes, I know it may look overly cute to you. It is genius when you bring in the physics of a material like yarn. It is. I know it's cute and maybe you're not into cute, but I'm telling you play this game because the gameplay just hooks you instantly because of how they really simulate the physics of what yarn and all these different, you know, like, I mean, even like, you know, sewing buttons and all this other stuff within this world and it's Kirby. So, you know, you get to take on varying powers and everything. It just, the style is, I'm so glad they, they kind of tried to match it with Yoshi, right. With the, was this crafted world or whatever, but this, yeah, Kirby's Epic yarn, uh, Nintendo really hit on something with this and I'm glad they've yet to really overdo it. Like, you know, they're not making a bunch of games like this, just like with paper Mario, they've never overdone that style and they keep it special so that when a paper Mario game comes out, everybody gets excited and rightfully so, uh, with yarn games instead of paper yarn games, keep those special. I want more, but keep those special. And in fact, I think we really need a Kirby's Epic yarn two on the switch at this point. Um, because Kirby's like, look, I love actually, <laughs> Part of the reason I also don't play smash brothers on the switch is because I play Kirby fighters two on, on the switch a lot. I, I play that all the time. Um, but aside from that, Kirby needs a great game again. Uh, now Epic yarn, wasn't the only Kirby game on, uh, on, on the Wii. They also had, what was it? Return to, was it return to dreamland? I think it was return to dreamland that that was, yeah, it was return to dreamland for, for Kirby. That was also on there and that was awesome. But Epic yarn was just such a unique experience is really something. So that's our number two, number one, let's do it. Let's just go to number one. This is the game. Probably nobody saw coming <laughs> because I know very few people um, that played this game. And this is another one where, wow, I really wish this would end up getting released uh, you know, for more systems or would get re-released or something like that. I'm sure at some point on, 
you know, with, with the switch online service, we'll end up getting, you know, maybe GameCube games and Wii games, uh, you know, available to play on there. That'd be nice. Endless ocean two, or in America, what would be called endless ocean blue world. Yes, there was an endless ocean one, uh, which was a very good game in its own right, but blue world took everything to the next level. Here's what I love about this game. So a, I love dolphins <laughs> so, and there's dolphins in this. And in fact, better than the first one, uh, with, you know, with blue world, you actually get to ride the dolphin instead of it just being a companion that kind of helps you out. You get to ride the dolphin and it can speed you up because this is a scuba diving game and it's a very serene, very beautiful, you know, and just an, ex an exploration game. In fact, the whole point, another thing that I loved about this game was ultimately the plot. Like you're in this, you know, kind of family diving business, um, but you get to do everything. Like you, you find, you know, treasure and, and salvage and everything, and you get to sell that off, uh, you know, for equipment and everything else. But it ultimately comes down to you finding a submerged ancient Egyptian temple. It's, it's a really, really cool storyline, but it's, again, it's not. It's not a fighting game by any means. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you have to worry about tiger sharks and you have like this kind of, you know, the, this little pulse. It's not even a weapon. It's just a pulse like defense system that, that can, you know, kind of ward away the sharks. I just, I, I love how nonviolent it is. And I love how it's so much about exploration and that's it, you know, and, and for it to like tie in a nice historical angle with the Egyptian temple and all that. Really, really cool. We, we only get games like this. I, I kind of feel like they only come once in a generation. And I know there have been other uh, games of this actually very much in this style for like for, for PC um, where you can, you know, where you're just basically, you're just a, a diver and you're just exploring um, or, you know, you have space games that, that kind of try to do the same thing. But this works really well. It's very personal, you know, and it has mechanics that you understand instantly. Uh, the Wiimote does really well with it. And maybe that's part of the reason it's never been uh, ported to any other or, you know, been re-released or anything is maybe because the Wii controls are just, you know, so unique that it, it wouldn't exactly work. I don't know. But I mean, a touchscreen can go a long way, right? Like that's why the Wii U had a touchscreen. But I, yeah, I love this game so much. Uh, again, big props for it being so, dare I say, ballsy? Ballsy for being a game of pure exploration. And, you know, not even, not even hinting at like a fighting mechanic. And I can really dig that. As much as I talked about on-rail shooters and everything else in this, I, I just, I love when you can get games like this that are all about, no pun intended, immersion into a world and into a life. Uh, it just delivers on that. I don't know why. I mean, more people should be talking about this game. This game belongs, frankly, I think this game belongs in top 10 lists, uh, you know, of greatest games of all time, uh, especially for its time for when it first came out. I want to say did this, this one came out in 09, maybe even in America. I don't think it actually came out till 2010 because I didn't have it till a little later after I got, uh, after I got my Wii. But it really, it deserves to be up there because there were not many games that were willing to be this peaceful. Uh, 
And I mean, I like, I figured I, I really, I can't believe it. Like Nintendo should have been all over this game. I mean, to some degree they were, I guess, but like they, they should have, they should want to, you know, because you always hear Miyamoto saying how, yeah, you know, just shooting things. Can't, can't we, and, and attacking things. Can't we get past that in video games? And I love it when he says those sorts of things. Uh, I, I don't know why they haven't taken up this, this whole series and tried to continue it, you know, but regardless, I put this at number one, this is, I, I clocked so many hours. Uh, I mean, and it, it, unfortunately it's not really a long game, but it's one of the ones kind of like breath of the wild, kind of like Zelda breath of the wild, where if you don't want to complete it, you don't have to, <laughs> you know, and if you just want to explore and build up and, you know, get treasure and do whatever else, uh, you never really have to finish the game if you don't want. Uh, and, and I feel like this is one of those ones where, where you could do that. And there, there's some, you know, it's not a strictly linear progression of story. You can kind of change things up a little bit in it, particularly in the second one. The first one, again, is very good, but you could tell they were still figuring it out, but that's because this was much like the, Wii is called the revolutionary. This is revolutionary. I think in gaming. Um, and that's really the story of the, Wii overall is it was absolutely revolutionary. Uh, and proved, and this is important, it proved for everyone that the most realistic looking graphics were not, this were not, it, that was not the most important thing in video games. The most important thing was great gameplay, right? And diverse gameplay, perhaps. And that's a lesson, you know, the, I mean, even like, like indie games and all this other stuff, of course, you know, we'd get cave story on the Wii and all that, but, but indie games, a lot of these other things, you know, the idea that people loved games that weren't call of duty, the Wii really spearheaded that. And I think we always have to be thankful that this system came into existence, you know, uh, even though it could do, like I said, it could still do first person shooters better than any other system maybe ever. But, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't concentrate on that. It really broke into very new realms of gaming, uh, and, and gave a lot of developers and a lot of games that exist now gave them permission really to exist, gave them justification in the market. And so for that, yeah, that's why I'm willing to bend the rules and talk about the Wii here. Now, I mean, again, there, there are so many games we could have gotten into. We didn't talk any about, about any of the Wii sports games, you know, we play, uh, there even was it the, was it Deca Deca sports one, two, and three. <laughs> they're they're kind of like the poor man's <laughs> Wii sports games, uh, you know, that, that people tried with that. Um, we fit, we didn't talk about, we fit where they tried to, you know, turn the, much like the switch is doing with like ring adventure or ring fit adventure or whatever, where, you know, you had the balancing board and, you know, they're trying to have you do yoga and, you know, get some fitness in. I mean, that was one of the selling points of the Wii was, well, this wasn't you sitting on your ass playing games. You had to get up, you had to move and you really didn't have to move if you didn't want to, but they were trying to inspire it. And, you know, we can applaud that. Uh, I mean, resident evil four, that could have been on the top eight list. Battalion wars Two, um, dead space extraction. I mean, like the Xenoblade Chronicles, which has been re-released multiple times. That was originally a Wii game. It was actually one of the last Wii games, uh, the trauma center games, Boy, those are an experience. New Blood, yeah, played the hell out of that. Um, there's there's so many really cool and and fairly unique games. I mean, Resident Evil Four and all the re 
Nintendo was smart to re-release all the Resident Evil games that were originally GameCube exclusives onto the uh, onto the Wii because like RE4 was, you know, was an experience. Um, yeah, there, there, there's just, there's a lot of games to, you know, really to get in uh, to get into. One thing I wish that the Wii did do was when Star Wars The Force Unleashed got released. Both of them, one and two, did get released on the Wii. I really, that was a lost opportunity. If I was LucasArts, holy fuck, I would have hired the guys that made Red Steel 2 and said, come and make us a Star Wars game. If you mixed in that story from, uh, you know, from The Force Unleashed and then put in the gameplay of Red Steel 2 with the lightsaber, oh, hell, that would have been considered one of the greatest games ever made. Both of those would have been lost opportunity on that one, in my opinion. Like, I mean, they just, they didn't take it far enough. So anyway, there's other games. I'm sure you can explore them that were, you know, absolutely phenomenal on the Wii, but this is really just half the story because all we talked about are the games that were released as, you know, official DVD packages, uh, as to where the Wii had another element that being, you know, the digital games available, the WiiWare games in the Wii shop. And we didn't even talk about Mies yet as an MII. We'll get into all of that in the next top eight, because the next top eight is going to be all about that other side of the Nintendo Wii. And maybe we'll get into some of the homebrew there. But for now, I'm going to wrap this one up and I will see all of you on the other side. Game over.